Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Julia LaRoche Show. We have an absolute legend in the macro investing world who doesn't give that many interviews. Today, we are joined by Felix Zuloff. He is the president of Zuloff Consulting. In this episode, Felix shares his thesis on why we are in the roller coaster decade. We got his take on the recent FOMC meeting, why equities have some room to run higher that will likely see some record highs there, and also a recession in 2024. We also got Felix's longer term economic outlook and the picture looks bleak. We're talking about a decade characterized by social, financial, and economic crises. I really enjoyed this conversation with Felix. I learned a lot, and I know you will too. Felix Zuloff, president of Zuloff Consulting. It is such an honor to welcome you to the Julia LaRoche Show. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. The honor is all mine, Julia. Thank you very much for having me. Well, Felix, I've wanted to interview you for many, many years now, and you are one of these well-known folks within the macro world, and you've made some prescient calls over the years. And I'd love to start where I always start with my guest, and that is to get their big picture macro view, uh, their assessment of the global economy and the markets. And one of the things about this show is you can take as much time as you'd like. Okay. Oh, my God. Uh, where should I start? Well, I, I think investors have to understand that geopolitics that usually does not impact financial markets for long, when there is an event or so, will have an impact in the years to come. Uh, the world uh, order is changing. The uh, US-centric unipolar world order with the US controlling everything uh, is gone. It's over. And we are in disorder and turmoil and in rivalry and conflict and wars. And that will continue and intensify over the next 10 years or into the early 30s. <clears throat> and that will eventually impact the world economy because there will be more sanctions, protectionism, nationalism, etc. And that makes it much more difficult for businesses to operate uh, uh, globally. Uh, it's a completely, it will be a completely different world from what it used to be, much more difficult. It will mean that uh, prices uh, will go up, inflation will rise on a structural basis, not on a cyclical, but on a structural basis, secular basis. And that means that uh, <clears throat> uh, interest rates on a secular basis will go up. We are now in a down cycle in inflation and in interest rates. And uh, we will probably enter a recession uh, sometimes next year. Uh, and and that should bring the equity markets down uh, to a major low late next year or so from a high that I expect early in the year, sometimes in first quarter, probably late first quarter in equities around the world. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and that's, uh, it's, it's very simple. Up first and then down, and that will create great opportunities because in recessions, authorities do what they always do. They reliquify the system. And since our system in each cycle is more fragile and more levered than in the previous cycle, they have to inject even more next time. And all that money cannot be taken up by the real economy. Therefore, it goes into the financial economy, in the asset economy, and it will push prices higher into through 25, uh, probably into 26. 
And that will also include commodity prices. And if commodity prices then rise to $150, $200, uh, you will see inflation rates clearly above 10%. And that will create problems for the bond market and we will have higher rates. And uh, that in a highly levered world will create the crisis in the second half, a uh, later part of the 20s that we probably all need to fix our fiscal problems. Because without a major mess and a major crisis, you cannot raise the taxes and cut entitlements that have to be done. You can only do it in a painful crisis uh, situation that is monumental. And that's what I'm expect for the later part of the 20s. So I, I think we are uh, working this decade through a roller coaster market. Lots of ups and downs. <clears throat> and uh, for passive investors that just buy and sit and hold, uh, it will be a very frustrating period. And the total returns at the end of the decade will be frustratingly low, <clears throat> could be even negative. While for those people who can play the mini cycles to some degree, uh, it could be a very beneficial uh, decade. Very volatile, very volatile. Yeah, I like that a description of a, a roller coaster. And um, you you bring up some important points. There's so many threads I want to pull on. Let's talk about um, the notion of the roller coaster. And it sounds to me what I'm hearing from you is you have to be nimble to play these cycles. And maybe it'll be frustrating for the more passive investors. Can we flesh that out? Because do you have to be more of a trader in these kind of environments versus um, kind of buy and set it and forget it type of play? Uh, yes, but not the short-term trader. You know, short-term trader is uh, is a losing game for most people, uh, and I would not recommend uh, individual investors to enter that uh, that game uh, because eventually they will lose out. But you have to time the mini cycles, and the mini cycles are um, one year up um, or one and a half years up, and one year down, and things like that. So more the long or medium term or the mini cycles that you have to try to time. Uh, timing cycles is uh, very challenging, difficult. Uh, in uh, our industry, uh, the saying is that you should not try it uh, because nobody can do it. <laughs> but there are a few old timers who try that, uh, who have grown up like me. I have grown up in the, 90, in the late 60s and 70s in those markets when it was up and down and up and down. And uh, the, my first cycle was uh, the bear cycle of 73 and 74, which I played levered short. And uh, and and I'm, I grew up with that. So I can sell short, I can buy long. Uh, this is nothing new for me. But it is very difficult for somebody who invests for the long term because they want to buy an asset and hold it and want to buy the best assets to own. Uh, unfortunately, I always get that question, what should I buy and where should I be over the next 10 years? Unfortunately, that asset does not exist. You have to be nimble and flexible. And you may need some uh, professional help uh, to guide you through that up, through these ups and downs in the market. But um, if you can just prevent 50% of the downside and participate in, let's say, 70% of the upside, 
you come out way ahead of the game. Mm -hmm. How are you? Okay. So like in uh, what I was hearing at the top was um, that there's still room to go here in the market before we get to maybe see more of a down cycle. Can, how are you thinking about playing this environment? Well, you you know, I try to segment the markets, and uh, we had a first down cycle from twenty from early twenty two to uh, fall of twenty two, and then we had a recovery from thirty five hundred in the S and P to the low four thousand. That was the first up leg. Uh, I thought actually it was a correction to the upside. Uh, I saw it coming, and I called it. And then we had a second up leg, uh, which I didn't see. Uh, I uh, unfortunately I missed from the low four thousand to forty six hundred in July. I called the July top and then said I we have a correction. And then in October I realized in late October that uh, the third up leg was beginning, and the third up leg uh, uh, we have to measure it and we have to monitor it. Uh, We use uh, positioning, we use sentiment, we use trend indications, momentum indications, and of course, valuation. But valuation is more for the long cycle. And uh, we are in overvalued territory. We know all that. And when you have high valuation, you get low returns when you invest. And when you get low valuation, you get high returns when you invest. So, I will look and monitor particularly uh, trend and momentum together with sentiment and positioning and see how this works out. Uh, I'm expecting a top uh, sometimes in the first quarter. It could stretch into the second quarter or so, and then a pretty, pretty serious downturn. And the downturn is not so much uh, magnitude, is not so much related to the economy, but is is related to the very unique situation we have technically in the market. We have the highest concentration ever in a few stocks in in the market capitalization. And it is much worse than in uh, 1973 before the Nifty 50s tanked. Um, You know, in today's world, individual investors often mandate a money manager, a professional. And the professional then invests according to the benchmark, or if he's an active manager, he moves close to the benchmark, not quite, but close, and then he can charge a higher fee. Uh, But I would say that 80% of the equity capital in the world is now benchmarked. And and if you didn't want to underperform the stock market in the US uh, over the last 12 months, you had to own those magnificent seven stocks. Mm. And if you wanted to outperform, you had to uh, overweight those stocks. So think about it. Somebody out in the world invests, indexed, and virtually two-thirds of the capital goes into the U.S. stock market. Out of that money, one-third goes into seven stocks. So you end up with the biggest concentration ever. And when the market turns down, for whatever reason, when the market turns down, bonnie managers, mutual fund managers get hit with redemptions. They have to sell. They have no other choice than to sell those stocks. So how they outperformed on the upside, they will underperform on the downside. And they will exaggerate the decline 
uh, to quite uh, dramatic proportions, uh, potentially, uh, because of that technical factor that has nothing to do with the real economy, except that we have uh, uh, a recession and sentiment turns down and uh, investors get uh, wary and more defensive and they want to reduce their equity allocation, etc., that's a fascinating point to think about too. And it also makes you wonder, Felix, how many of those names, the Magnificent Seven, are also appearing within like ETFs and, and whatnot. And folks might think they're they're diversified, but they might own the same names multiple times as well. That's absolutely correct, uh, Julia. Absolutely. And and it's uh I have uh, I have seen many uh, cycles uh, in the last uh, 50 years uh, since I'm doing this. Uh this is unique. I have never seen anything as concentrated as this. And I want to add that all those Magnificent Seven are fantastic companies. You know, they are great companies, but they are great companies even at half the valuation. Mm -hmm. Just to make that sure. You know, there's nothing bad about the companies. Although some of the companies have... Uh, stagnating earnings, stagnating revenues, um, like Apple, you know, it's a great company. But uh, for the last three quarters, revenues have stagnated or even come down slightly and so have earnings. Hey there, I just want to quickly interrupt the video and just say thank you. Thank you so much for coming to this channel and choosing to watch this interview. I hope that you are enjoying it and I appreciate you visiting the channel. If you like what you see, please hit that subscribe button. It doesn't cost anything. It's totally free and it will keep you up to date on all of my interviews. I post two interviews a week with some of the most incredible people in, in finance and investing and your support will help me bring in some more amazing guests. If you already are one of my subscribers, thank you so much. I cannot express to you how much your support means to me. I am incredibly grateful that I get to do something that I'm truly passionate about. And you being there week after week, it not only gives me that energy, but it just gives me that faith to keep going. And it means everything to me. And I love seeing you all in the comments section. I love interacting with you. I love interacting with you on email or social media. I just love hearing from you all. And I just appreciate your support so much. I feel incredibly lucky that I get to do something that I just love. So I just want to say thank you and appreciate you subscribing. All right, back to the interview. Well, as we are recording this, we were recording the day after the last FOMC meeting of 2023. Can I get your reaction to the Fed? Maybe more of your outlook there. Um, it seems like a lot of folks seem to think we're going to have a rate cut in 2024. Can we just hear more of your thoughts and just, you know, even um, branch it out to the bond market as well? Yeah, I think we will have rate cuts uh, because I think we uh, the economy is heading into recession. But, you know, the soft landing thesis is such an extreme consensus that when I, I know from my own experience, when all the forecasts and experts agree to such a high degree, something else is going to happen. So either it is the economy is stronger or it is weaker. And I think we will get both. I think in the first few months, the economy could appear a little bit stronger than expected, which would then be a problem for the bond market. Uh, and in the second half, the economy will be weaker and we go into recession. 
And let's say it's a mild recession and earnings go down 10% only instead of 25, which is usual for a recession. And you apply a ratio, uh, a PE of 16 at the bottom of the market. You come up with 3,500 for the S&P. Uh, people do not think that way right now. The FOMC, I think you have to understand that the Fed is as confused about the economic trends as the market is. The Fed doesn't know exactly where it stands, and it wants to keep all options open. Yesterday, what they said was, well, we don't want to overdo it on the tightening side because we have to keep in mind uh, if the economy weakens, we have to help the economy and then cut rates, etc. It, it, it left everything open. The media uh, put... Uh, uh, represented it as very dovish. I think it was not as dovish as uh, as uh, the media represents it, but the market is bullish, wants to be bullish. We are close to year-end. All the active managers uh, and, uh, and customers men want to make sure that the portfolios at year-end for their clients looks very nice and they have all the stocks you had to own this year in the portfolio and that creates tremendous demand and together with a relatively loose fed right now because they want to provide extra liquidity over year end because that's needed for all the window dressing that goes on in the financial system for year end you know you have a plentiful liquidity situation and you have a bullish market and that gives you the higher price and i think the momentum will carry through into a high sometimes in the first quarter. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, that's more of the near-term picture. When I was listening to you at the beginning of this conversation and I was taking some notes and I'm learning so much from you, Felix, you were talking about um, looking out to the second half of the 2020s and inflation rates being above 10%. I want to explore that thesis, especially amid a backdrop where the debt situation. I'm thinking about the debt situation here in the U.S. Um, 33.9 trillion, and I believe the last that I checked. Um, that sort of backdrop. I just want to hear more on that thesis because sometimes it feels like maybe are we taking a bit of a victory lap on the inflation battle here in the near near term, where we have like a longer term challenge ahead. We have a temporary victory. We have not killed the beast. Uh, you know, this is inflation is just the rate of change of the consumer price index. And the consumer price index is managed in a way that uh, it doesn't appear as high as inflation really is. You know, they constantly change that. And if you took the uh, uh, basket of uh, consumer goods and services uh, from 1990, we would be at 10% inflation. So they change that constantly. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, if, if uh, recently they took out um, um, health insurance premiums and replaced them with health insurance companies' profits, I don't know why, but it's probably because profits went down and premiums went up. So <clears throat> it's a lot of uh, smoke and mirror. Uh, you cannot take that for granted. I can tell you, I come to the U.S. for 50 years, and this year was the first year that the restaurants in the U.S. were more expensive than in Switzerland. So I think the U.S. has a more severe uh, inflation problem than we have right now over here. That's saying something, too. 
more expensive. Absolutely, than absolutely. So I I think the current inflation cycle uh, uh, behaves very much like the late sixties and seventies inflation cycle. You can actually overlay those two, and uh, and that means that sometimes next year inflation bottoms. Uh, cyclically, maybe uh, at two percent or three percent or something in that area, and then we go up in the next inflation cycle, and it will be driven by the money uh, liquidity injection that I expect when we are in recession, and that liquidity will also flow into commodities. In the world that we are with rivalry the BRICS versus the G7s, uh, the uh, autocracies versus the democracies, etc. The BRICS control three quarters of the world's commodities. And they will, of course, use that weapon in an upcycle and they will make commodities uh, more scarce. And, uh, and th this is a supply issue, not so much a demand issue. And I think due to that, prices will skyrocket. And if prices go up, it flows into every product. Energy goes into every product and service. Uh, and uh, and many commodities flow into our products. A, a cellular phone or whatever is made out of something. And it's all commodities. And when commodities go up, eventually inflation goes up. And, uh, and therefore, uh, the next cycle high will probably be clearly above 10%. And that creates a problem for the bond market because mm -hmm. we know from experience of the 70s, it was the second inflation cycle that created problems for the bond market. The first cycle was a mild bear market, although this one has been the most severe, the most severe in 50 years, the downdraft. We have uh, ETF 20-year bonds have declined 50% from the top. Uh, uh, from 2020 to 23, uh, and <clears throat> and I think the next cycle will be as as severe as this one, ev probably even more so. And then the question is, what then? I do not believe that our system can live with eight percent treasury yields ten years, you know, uh, because it will be in the whole Western world that we will have much higher interest rates. I do not believe that our system can live with that. And therefore, I, I think that central banks will try to go to yield curve control mm -hmm. in some form. When you try to do yield curve control, you can control the yield, but then you cannot control the currency. Or you have to introduce currency controls, but then we are in a completely new world. Then it's over with free capital markets. You see, so I think we are in for some important changes. It could very likely be that several of the uh, major currencies in 10 years time will be replaced by new currencies due to a currency reform. Because, you know, if you go to a major crisis like a depression, I think in the 30s, you had a stable currency system that was gold backed, a stable anchor. So what went down was the real economy. Whereas in the current situation, you have a fiat currency system and the governments will try to underwrite the economy and they will let the currency go. And it's it's just the opposite of what happened there. So it will be milder in terms of economic decline and it will be less painful, but it will be much more painful in what you lose in your savings. 
And particularly for older people, it is a disaster. You have saved for your retirement, and all of a sudden you have inflation rates, uh, I wouldn't say like Argentina, but uh, uh, much higher inflation rates. If you let the currency go, you end up with very high inflation rates, and that creates poverty uh, in an increasing number of the people in a society. And that creates social unrest. So mm -hmm. I think in the later 20s, we will have a social crisis, we'll have an economic crisis, a financial crisis, an economic crisis, a currency crisis. It's all, it's, it's like hell will break loose because we come from a world that has been relatively stable, managed. You know, we had occasional crises, but it was well managed and under control. I think the next big crisis in the later 20s will be a shocker for many people. Wow. Let me ask you this too, on the, um, with our fiscal problems, are, do you think we're getting, are we past the point of no return on addressing that or fixing that? Is there anything we could do to sort of remedy this? Or is this kind of just the path that we are headed on this kind of collision course here with these types of scenarios on the horizon? No, you can, you can fix it. Uh, first of all, the US government is uh, very wealthy. It could sell uh, a lot of land and pay down debt. Um, we could also uh, raise taxes and we could cut entitlements. However, I cannot not name one politicians who would do that under normal circumstances. Mm -hmm. They could only do it and justify it vis-a-vis -vis their constituencies in a major crisis that is painful for all of us. And, and and that is what we will get later this decade. Yeah. One more question before. Well, maybe we'll have a few more. I don't know. Um, I know we don't have much time left. Gold is a really popular subject on this show. Um, I've had guests who've talked about kind of similar scenarios to what you've um, painted here and um, specifically gold as a monetary inflation hedge. Do you have a viewpoint on gold? And if so, could you share that with us? I'm not the uh, I'm not the gold bug, but I think uh, gold is a certain protection against uh, debasing currencies. Uh, that's the monetary aspect of it. And then I think a new phenomenon, a new factor is coming uh, to the world, and that's because of uh, the rivalries that I described, uh, the changing geopolitical order. Uh, the uh, dumb uh, mistake by the Biden administration to use the dollar as a political weapon uh, has really eliminated uh, the US dollar as a reserve currencies for all those countries that are not close friends with the US. And, and they must uh, uh, look for other <clears throat> opportunities, alternatives to the US dollar. Uh, and gold is one of those assets they are using. They will probably use other commodities as well, but gold is one of uh, those assets. Uh, the, the biggest uh, holder of gold is China, mm -hmm. and it's not just the government of China. Uh, China's government is encouraging its people to own a lot of gold. <clears throat> and China is saying the gold we own through our people is an important insurance against problems in the world. And I think at some point of time, they will try to back their currency with gold, with that particular gold. Uh, China and Russia are working on a uh, 
not the currency, but the currency unit that uh, will not be backed by gold, but will be related to the price of gold or to the weight of gold, so to speak. Uh, the uh, rumor is that within two years or so, they will come out with that, and it will be primarily used to settle trade among the BRIC nations. Uh, and uh, and then, of course, it will be used more in finance, and over time, it could become an important currency unit. I don't think that's important for the next 10 years, but what's important is the accumulation of the global south, of gold by the global south, to really have gold backed uh, for that new world, a new world order that will eventually uh, uh, come up. And, uh, and, and I think in that sense, gold ha- is now also not just a monetary asset, but also a geopolitical asset. And it will be used much more outside the G7s as a, um, as a reserve currency, because uh, gold is money. Uh, and uh, and now the biggest owner of, of gold uh, these days is China, and the second biggest is Russia. Um, they own Russia alone owns uh, twice as much gold as uh, as the U.S. And you know when the last world order was created and the new currency order um, in Bretton Woods, it was the guy that held the most gold and was the strongest nation. His currency was the anchor of the currency system. I'm not saying that China will be in that position. I doubt it will be. But it will, I think gold will play a more important role in the future in the world currency system uh, than it has in the past. The, the, The Western world is selling gold and the global south is buying it. Got it. What is what do you think that would mean for um the implications of like the gold price then? Well, I think the gold price will uh, will fluctuate. Um, uh, gold is uh, on a pretty clear eight-year cycle. Uh, the uh, eight-year cycle high was 2020. Uh, and, and many of uh, my friends who love gold uh, have been very frustrated over the last few years. And I told them <clears throat> gold is not ready. It has to digest. It has to prepare for the next cycle. The ideal low for uh, the eight-year cycle is August 24, but it has probably made its price low already. It means that from summer of 24 on, the price of gold will accelerate when it goes up. It will accelerate, and that probably goes together with the reliquification of the system by central banks that I see due to a recession. Well, Felix, I have to say it has been an absolute pleasure and honor, and I've learned so much from you. I want to give you a few more minutes to share any parting thoughts, anything that we didn't bring up in this discussion that you would like to share. And if you'd also like to share where folks can you know, learn more about you and your work, please take the next few minutes to do so. Well, first of all, you can contact us uh, at um, uh, our homepage, uh, felixzulauf.com. Or, or write to info at felixzulauf.com. Uh, we publish a, um, a market letter uh, on macro issues uh, every two weeks, and we have uh, webinars uh, throughout the year, sometimes with guests uh, uh, and so on. <clears throat> and, you know, what I said is uh, really the general picture that I provided. Uh, 
you know, I could go to any individual stock uh, or currency or whatever and discuss it. Uh, I think the one currency we should keep in mind is the Japanese yen. Uh, the Japanese uh, have, uh, <clears throat> they provided um, a yield curve control model uh, and, and they have gone on that yield curve control model for so long. And when the rest of the world tightened, the Japanese did not. And therefore, the Japanese currency declined dramatically. And it was then used more and more as the major funding currency in the world. And <clears throat> I think next year, when the world central banks will begin to ease and cut rates, the Japanese will not because there is no need to. Uh, and therefore, I think from that inflection point, it will make the Japanese yen stronger. Uh, it may be that we have already seen the high in dollar yen or the low in the yen, uh, but it will accelerate because the short positions out there, due to the use of the yen as a funding currency, they are gigantic. Uh, I recall uh, one of the dramatic uh, events uh, in 98, uh, when dollar yen declined very sharply in a few weeks from 148 to uh, 108, uh, a dramatic decline. And uh, I was on the right side of the market at that time, uh, full of options uh, on the right side. And therefore, I know I know very well. It was the trade that uh, was a distraction to Julian Robertson's uh, Tiger. Yeah. And I talked to Julian before that, and I told him that uh, uh, he's in a dangerous position with that, uh, with that trade. And it happened so fast. And I think next time it will happen again very fast because one these things move and the short position is so big then it moves very quickly very fast wow i just had a fascinating discussion on the japanese yen with grant williams whom i, I know you that you know him um as well and so it's so interesting yeah. to hear more folks bring that up so that's something to pay attention to the japanese yen um in 2024 yes well, Felix, I have to say it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your ideas. And you are always welcome on this show. Thank you again and be well and happy holidays. Thank you, Julia. I also wish you happy holidays and thank you for having me on your show. Thank you. Thank you.